Uh, we're just starting a new book of the Bible this week, Second Corinthians. And one of our, our um, things that we like to do at Village is we like to study books of the Bible in their entirety because we want to see Scripture as the sufficient Word of God and understand it and understand how it applies and, and really just dig into God's Word. I so appreciated many of the comments from this last week as we talked about our, our focus this next year is going to be to love God and be more passionate about Him and to love others, find out how that works out and, and really to find out how both of those things work out in practical life. Not just say them and say, oh, I feel them, but how do we actually do that when we walk in the doors on Sunday morning? And more importantly, when we walk out of the doors on Sunday morning, how do we love God and love others? And some of the questions that people posed this last week were just really important questions. Things like, well, okay, I I know I have to love them, but what about like? That's a tougher one. Or what about somebody that's in sin? How do we love somebody in sin? Because, see, love is acting for the well-being or for the good of another. Is it good to let somebody just live in sin? No. Is it good to let somebody that doesn't know Christ spend their life without knowing who Jesus is and end up in hell? No. And so good sometimes says the hard things. It speaks the truth, especially when somebody is in sin. You know, loving one another, it becomes challenging when we disagree with each other. And we talked about that a little bit last week, but how do we disagree well? Not on sin issues, but just on wisdom issues. And, and those are all the things that come into play as we talk about how to love God and how to love others. Because bottom line is, relationships are a little messy. Family is messy. And I don't mean that as bad. It's a good messy. You know, there's, there's, there's good messy and bad messy. But when we come together, we're rubbing shoulders and there's issues and there's things we're dealing with. And I am absolutely convinced that God gives us those relationships and to love each other, even though we're all imperfect build, beings, to refine us, to sanctify us, to make us more like Him. Because as I rub shoulders with you and find out I'm not as good as I think I am, God is refining me and He is challenging me. Today as we come to Second Corinthians, we come to a story of a church that's going through that, going through what it means to love each other, what it means to be confronted on something. You know, sometimes we think of, well, if somebody has sin, I'm going to confront them with their sin, and boom, everything's good, right? You know, when I discipline my kids, they are perfect. Never sin again until tomorrow or later today or whatever. No, we're, we're imperfect beings. And so we, we are struggling with our sin nature and we are all being transformed into Christ's likeness. But what do we do after we confront somebody or after we've had a conflict? Isn't there like an awkwardness? You know, for those of you that are married, you, ha- you have a, a disagreement with your spouse and it's just a, 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 a passionate disagreement and you work it out and you ask for forgiveness where, where are you at after that? Maybe it's just me, but isn't there a little bit of, well, well, okay, how's, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to go from here? So I, I can remember someone confronting me on a sin in my life, and, and I dealt with that sin and confessed it, but then there was this issue of, okay, are we okay? Right? It, how do we move forward from this? I disciplined one of my, my children last night, and at the end of that, it was so important then to, to go to God and ask forgiveness and to talk through First John 1, nine, but to reaffirm, I love you. I love you. This didn't change that. We had to deal with it, but I love you. That's a little bit about what Second Corinthians is about. 
We come to 2 Corinthians. And if you remember our study through 1 Corinthians, Paul hit the church pretty hard. He, he dealt with godly living in an ungodly world. Very specifically, let's get rid of the sin. The sin that is blocking you from walking with God. And he hits issue after issue after issue. If you remember some of them, if I can get to them, he hit divisions in the church over people and preferences. He, he addressed pride and arrogance, thinking their own opinions were right and best. He hit jealousy. He hit people that were sleeping with each other. He hit someone that was sleeping with a family member and incest. He talked about marriage and, and what marriage should look like. He talked about a church that needed to value their singles and not treat them as secondhand citizens. He addressed improper use of gifts. He addressed people not even worried about each other when they came to the Lord's Supper and just worried about self and meeting their own needs. These are tough, challenging issues. Worship issues and all kinds of issues. Legal disputes as they were suing each other and it was tearing the church apart. And so Paul goes, boom, 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 and he addresses those things. But then what happens? And that's where we get to 2 Corinthians. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll read these verses. I'll give you a brief history of what's going on because there's a lot of stuff that happened between 1 and 2 Corinthians actually. Things didn't get better. They didn't get better right away. In fact, they got a lot worse. And then we, we see 2 Corinthians. And so we need to understand some of that to, to understand 2 Corinthians. Some of the material is a review of, of a year and a half ago when we talked about 1 Corinthians. I don't know about you, but a year and a half ago, I could use some review. So, so we're going to talk about that again, review the pertinent things for 2 Corinthians, because we under, want to understand what Paul is writing. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we see a, a familiar opening. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Very similar to the First Corinthians ish, intro. Some things have changed and worded a little different, but very similar. And we know from this that Paul is the author and he's writing the, to the church at Corinth, but more than the church of Corinth, the churches in the whole area. He's intending this to be read by more than just the church at Corinth. I have pictures today, which if you remember when we did First Corinthians, the computer didn't work and so you didn't get to see any of the pictures. But um, just so, so we know, this is actually a picture of Paul's missionary journey. And Israel's over here, and he comes up and around for his missionary journey. And this is where Corinth is. And this is all Achaia, which is modern-day Greece. And you see this isthmus there. That is, the, it's actually a two-port harbor, one on each side. And that's where Paul is addressing at the, the city of Corinth. But let's talk about some history. Because we have to understand what's going on. Relationships are complicated. And this is no different. So uh, just a brief timeline. I think I put most of these in your notes. In AD 51-52, so year 51-52, Paul goes on this, this missionary journey. This is the second missionary journey. And he leaves and goes north and goes through Asia Minor, goes through Macedonia, and eventually down to Corinth. He spends 18 months at Corinth planting a church investing, loving these people, dedicating his life to seeing them come to Christ and to start a church. We know that um, from 1 Corinthians, we know there was a letter that he wrote after that because after he left Corinth, he went over here to Ephesus. And so Ephesus is over here. I know that's very difficult to read, but 
Um, Ephesus is over there. And he wrote a letter back to Corinth. And that's the first letter that we don't have. And he addresses some things. There was probably some, um, some questions in there. In 1 Corinthians 5, 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter, so that's the first letter, not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he was trying to give them instructions. What do you do when a brother's in sin? You confront and you might have to remove fellowship and, and all that is done out of love. Looks as if in 1 Corinthians, as we studied it, that they, they didn't quite understand that. They didn't put that into practice right. And so Paul is going to readdress that in 1 Corinthians. So while he's at Ephesus here and, and he, some time has passed, he's gone back, he's on his third missionary journey, but he's, he's in Ephesus for a while. While he's there, he gets some visitors from Corinth. Remember, this is just a straight shot here. This is the shipping lane. And so from Corinth, the ships would come here. And, and some of the people from Corinth came and said, Paul, we need to tell you some things that are happening. We need to tell you what's going on. And Stephanus comes and Fortunatus and Achaicus and some, some of the household of Chloe. And they probably bring a letter from Corinth with some um, information. And Paul is disturbed by what he hears. All those things that we mentioned in 1 Corinthians. So then in AD 55, roughly three years after he had left and, and founded the church, in AD 55, he writes 1 Corinthians and addresses these tough issues. And that's where we left the story six months ago when we finished 1 Corinthians. A little bit after that, Paul's still worried about the church. And so he sends Timothy and, and he sends Timothy to Corinth, possibly with 1 Corinthians, probably after 1 Corinthians. And Timothy spends some time in Corinth, and he comes back to Paul in Ephesus, crosses the, the sea there, and he says, Paul, things aren't good. Things have gotten worse. They haven't taken your instruction. People are still opposing you there. And, and, and Paul had, had planned out another trip and another journey, and he changed his plans, and he made a quick visit to Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians, we find him call that visit a painful visit. It was quick and urgent. They did not receive him well. They opposed him. It was, it was painful to Paul. And sometimes when we work with people, it hurts, doesn't it? Sometimes when we are mentoring people, sometimes when we are raising our children, they say things that just tear at our hearts. And that's a little bit what Corinth did to Paul in that painful visit. They, they, they tore at him. Some did, at least. And he goes back to Ephesus. That'd be hard. It'd be really hard. Sometimes in our relationships, there's some pain. There's some difficulty. And so Paul had some choices here. Do I just give up and say, well, okay. God be with you. God deal with you. I'm on to Macedonia. I'm on to Asia Minor where there's some churches that love me. The thing is, he loved the people at Corinth. And his love constrained him to not give up on them. Because relationships are a roller coaster sometimes. Relationships are messy sometimes. And part of loving each other is we help each other grow with God. And we help each other even when it hurts sometimes. And so Paul writes a le- another letter to, to Corinth. Not 2 Corinthians yet. This is a third letter, which we probably don't have. And he calls it a severe letter. And if he's calling the third letter a severe letter and he didn't call 1 Corinthians the severe letter... It was severe. And he addresses directly some things. He sends that over to Corinth, probably with Titus. And I can just imagine him sitting in Ephesus ministering and his heart is bleeding for the church at Corinth. 
That severe letter could be 1 Corinthians, but most evidence makes us think it's a separate letter. And he's waiting there. He's waiting for Titus to return. And he's waiting. And he's waiting. And Titus hasn't returned. And so he decides to go up through Macedonia because he's going to meet Titus there. And, and so he takes the route that Titus would be coming back and he's going, I'm going to meet Titus. I'm going to find out what's going on because it's eating himself up because he still loves the people at Corinth. He catches up to Titus in Macedonia. And I can just picture the meeting because they meet and, and Paul's like, how did it go? How did they receive my letter? Because he wants them to be walking with God. And Titus says, they received it well. They're repenting. They're changing. And Paul's heart is glad and overjoyed, I would imagine. Now, this does not mean that they were perfect. They responded well and they are being transformed, but there's still issues there. There's still a group that's opposing Paul and there's some false teachers trying to stir things up. But the majority of the church, it looks like, is is working to repent and follow God. And so around AD 56, probably about a year and a half after 1 Corinthians, he writes 2 Corinthians. And then he goes and visits the church again after 2 Corinthians have been sent. And so with that in mind, you can just picture 2 Corinthians as a very different tone than 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is all about if you're going to live for God in an ungodly world, you've got to deal with sin in your life. We've got to correct this. 2 Corinthians doesn't lose that, but 2 Corinthians is more about how do we move on now. It's about reconciliation and restoration and saying, okay, now that we are dealing with sin, now you need to be reminded you're ambassadors. You have a job to do. Go share. Go minister. And so there's some equipping that happens in 2 Corinthians that didn't happen in 1 Corinthians. In the first nine chapters, we're going to see a lot of this kind of equipping. The last few chapters are dealing with some of the, the, this new group that has come and they're berating Paul. But one of the things that, that I hope we learn from history, and, and history is so important, guys. When you come to a book of the Bible... Come and say, okay, what's the background here? And you don't have to come and hear this from me. You can open up a good study Bible and read the notes and find that out. Grab a commentary and and they give you all this information at the beginning, but know some of the story because these things really happened and these are real people that are really trying to grow and walk with God that we can learn from. But a lesson here is Paul didn't give up on them. He didn't give up on them when I dare say I probably would have. Because he loved them. And as we strive to, to walk with God, as we strive to challenge each other to walk with God, we need to remember Paul's attitude towards the Corinthians. Through thick and thin, he said, I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you God's love. I'm going to instruct and bring you back to God's love. And that's really the setting of Second Corinthians wanted to remind us a little bit of the city of Corinth, and this is some of the things that's a review. But some of you weren't with us, and so it's important to understand the setting because the, the city of Corinth was a, a very decadent, wealthy, self-centered city. In your notes, I put it's a church in a city of wealth, status, unbridled self that elevated immorality, and many gods. In this city, Christians were weird. 
almost like today. Christians were strange and they, they, they weren't normal. They were outcasts. They were uninformed. They were stupid and judgmental to the world. They weren't embracing the sexual freedoms of the time. They were unduly constraining others that did embrace all these things. Because Corinth was a major city economically, culturally, and in their entertainment. Some history that you can get and you go back and listen to the begin, our intro to 1 Corinthians. You can get some more of that about it um, being captured by the Romans and destroyed and then rebuilt. And so you ended up with a lot of freed slaves and army veterans or that didn't have any place to go that colonized Corinth. And the Roman government just said, let's, let's put them over in Corinth. What they didn't realize is Corinth was ideally situated along two different trade routes. And that's where we get to the wealth of Corinth. And if you look at this picture, you have one trade route that went this way to all of the west. You had another trade route that went this way to all of the east. And you had the, the port of Lycaum and the port of Centrea. And that, can, can, that was Corinth, those two ports together. Now what's also interesting is this isthmus became the major route for any trade going from the north to the south. And the thing with trade routes, if you were sitting on a trade route, you controlled all traffic through the trade route. And you could come, and Phil comes to me and says, I'd like to take my goods to the south. But I'd love to help you for only 10% of your goods. What a deal. Because if, if you don't, then oh well. And, and we also know that this isthmus provided an interesting opportunity because it was about 250 miles around this way. Or about four and a half miles here. As a ship, which would you rather do? Now, you might say, you just said a ship. That's land. And so what they would do is for a fee, and people could come and and help this, for a fee, they would unload your ship, cart all your goods across the isthmus to the other side, and then load them back on the other side. You pay your money, you're on your way. You're safe. You don't have to go all the way around. You've saved time. It's a win-win situation. For smaller vessels, they actually put them up on carts and on wheels, and they carted them across. And you can just picture out in this, this rolling hills the ship going across the hill. It would have been a sight to see. And so what happened, because people could go and help, and they could charge, and they could do this, Corinth became a wealthy city, but a city where anyone could get ahead. You could pull yourself up by your own bootstraps because you could go and you could help on these ships and you could help with this this journey. And you had two ports and all the sailors in town and there arose all kinds of other industry to entertain the sailors. Speaking of the journey around, John MacArthur said, uh, he quoted, a sailor never takes a journey around Malaya until he first writes his will. So not only was it economically prudent to do this, it was life-saving at different times of the year. A couple of slides here. This is a road, the road that they think they probably carted goods and ships across. So there's your river, and they carted ships across. Now, modern day, Nero wanted to start this. He started it but abandoned it. Modern day, they've solved it with a canal. So this is modern day Corinth, and they can take ships right through there. It is still a major trade route and something that um, they can still take advantage of. So it's a city of wealth. Unfortunately, it was also a city of unbridled self. The immorality in town was legendary. You've heard me talk about 
the, the term to Corinthianize. And to Corinthianize meant to practice sexual immorality. Just was part of life there. One author, and I really appreciate this, I read this a year and a half ago, but it helps us understand the ideal of the Corinthian was the reckless development of the individual. It's all about me. The merchant who made his gain by all and every means, the man of pleasure surrendering himself to every lust, the athlete steeled to every bodily exercise and proud in his physical strength are the true Corinthian types. In a word, the man who recognized no superior and no law but his own desires. That was Corinth. That was where the church needed to somehow prosper and thrive. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing those things that they hadn't let go of. Corinth was also a city. Oh, there, there's another picture from a different angle. The Corinthian Canal is over there. The Acrocorinth, which we'll talk about as a hill with a um, temple to Aphrodite. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this was a, a picture, this is an art rendering of the, uh, the Isthmian Games. And every two years they'd have games there because Corinth was also a center, it became a center of culture. These games were second only to the Olympic Games. It was considered an intellectual center. They loved to discourse about things. And so how you discoursed, how you talked was everything to them because it was tied to status. So in Second Corinthians, we're going to see them talk about ta- Paul's speech. Well, you don't talk so well. So you must not be a very good guy. That's coming from this focus on culture and status. When we think of status, and we'll we'll talk about this in a minute, Corinth became the capital of the region, Achaia. Um, Social status was huge, and it didn't matter how you gained status. In fact, it it was lauded, it was looked up to if you could step on people to gain status. Because it's all about me, all about my desires. And so people would do just about anything. They'd make statues. They'd, they'd have slaves and flaunt that around. They'd have giant parties, anything for status. We talked about in 1 Corinthians, and it's important to know in 2 Corinthians 2, the, the whole patronage system. And so those with money became patrons, and they would have servants and people working for them that they'd give gifts to that would rely on them. And, and the more people you had under you as a patron, the, the greater man or woman you were in town. All about status, all about me, and how you view me. Finally, and what this slide represents, Corinth was a, a town of many gods, many different worship practices, numerous sites of pagan worship, at least 12 temples. This is one of them. At least 15 gods and goddesses worshipped, I would argue, probably more. They've found all kinds of statues to these magnificent gods. This up here is the Acrocorinth, and up there is the temple to Aphrodite. At one point, historians say there was probably close to a thousand um, priestess prostitutes that would come into town and service the sailors in worship of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. In fact, many sea captains... Uh, had a proverb because they, they knew that they, you'd go, you squander your money for these services, and they'd say, not for every man is a voyage to Corinth. Because they knew it was a dangerous place to lose your money, to lose yourself, even as you thought you were pursuing self. They had temples to Poseidon, Palamon, Aphrodite, Artemis, Dionysus, Helios, Hermes, Apollo, Zeus, Isis, Eros, 
others, the emperor, and, and you, you had a, a synagogue there because this was a multicultural town. The more gods you worship, the better. Cover your bases. Make sure you make them all happy. Ray Stedman calls Paul's letters to Corinth first and second Californians. And so we come to 2 Corinthians with that as the background. And on the other side of your notes, I just have six words that you can fill in. Six words that help us understand the themes. And I'm not going to develop them today because that's what the next four months are about. But I just want to give them to you and look for these as we study Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Because Paul weaves them in to, to every chapter and, and all over. The first is reconciliation. I've already talked about that. Restoration after repentance. And so part of what you see in 2 Corinthians is Paul is reaffirming his love for them. Trying to get past that awkwardness. Trying to say, I still love you. I praise God you repented. I still love you. And so in 2 Corinthians 6, 11-13, we read, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. That's so key because after someone has hurt us and hurt us in ministry that we've invested in, we want to close our hearts. And Paul is saying, no, my, my heart is still wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. And so Paul is reaffirming his care for this church. Second word, first word is reconciliation. Second word is mission. Mission. Let me get forward to that. Move forward as ambassadors with the work of God. See, Satan would love when we deal with sin and we repent of sin, he would love to keep us wallowing in the guilt. And he would love to keep us believing that the blood of Jesus Christ was not enough to handle that sin. And one of Paul's messages to the church at Corinth is, yes, the horrible things you had to deal with, sin issues you had to deal with, now let's move on and be ambassadors for Christ because the blood of Jesus Christ took care of that. Amen? And that's true of any of us. I don't care what background you're from. I don't care what is in your past. If you have come to God and if you have come to Jesus and if you have truly repented of your sins, He has promised He will wipe them clean. And I don't understand how. I don't understand how He doesn't hold that against us except He's viewing me through the lens of His Son on that cross, paying the price for every one of my sins. How can I not be His ambassador? Satan wants us to think it's not enough. You still need to do more. You still need, still need, you're not worthy to tell people about Jesus. Man, if he's forgiven you, maybe you're even more worthy because the, the size of our forgiveness is often the size of our message that we have a great God who has greatly saved us. Third word there is transformation. And we're going to see that woven through 2 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit has been working and will continue to work. In in chapter 3, verse 18, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image all at once. No, no, no. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And we have to realize we are all being transformed. None of us have arrived. None of us. Catch that this morning? None of us have arrived. None of us have a corner on on godliness. None of us have a corner on wisdom. I still sin. You still sin. 
and the Holy Spirit is still transforming us. And that levels the playing field. This is huge. Fourth word, reignition. Okay, probably thinking. Paul instructs them to continue with the collection. Renew their passion and zeal. These things had taken away their passion. They had taken, the sin had taken away their zeal for God. And Paul says it's time. It's time to reignite that zeal and that passion. Two more words. The fifth one is faithfulness. God is faithful in our weakness. God is faithful in our trials. Some of you are going through some dark days, difficult days. 2 Corinthians says God is still faithful. Some of you are confronted with your own weakness, just as Paul was. All of us are clay pots, cracked pots. Some more than others. (laughs) Sorry, old old joke. (laughs) And God is faithful. Because it's about Him working through us, not if I'm qualified enough. Sixth word there is leadership. And Paul's going to address what does godly leadership looks like because these people have come in and said, oh, Paul's a jerk. He's not a good leader. Don't follow him. And Paul's going to say, well, well, you're using the wrong standards for even evaluating leadership. So we see a defense of his ministry. That's where we're going to go with 2 Corinthians. The title of the sermon series is very much the same as 1 Corinthians, just with the word transformed added. Godly living in an ungodly world But how do we do that? Being transformed, being reconciled, being renewed. And so I'm excited about this book because it's a call to action. It's a call to continue dealing with sin in our lives, but to step out and do incredible things for God. And that's what he's doing here at Village. Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that as we explore 2 Corinthians, that you would challenge us to be ambassadors for you that you would challenge us to be right with you, to be renewed, to be reconciled, Lord, and to move forward as your sons and daughters. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for dear friends being with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.